You'd remain standing for our scripture reading. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated. It's good to be here with you all this morning as we worship God together. As we've been doing over the past few weeks since Easter, uh, today we're staying within the Gospel John and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that John writes about in his Gospel. Over the past three weeks, we've spent time with John as we've gone to the empty tomb and Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene. We've gathered with the disciples who had uh, Jesus appear among them in Jerusalem. And then last week, we read how Jesus called out to the disciples from the boat on the, when they were on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And he is standing on the shore, and they've been unsuccessful. And so he cries out to them or shouts out to them, throw your nets over to the right side of the boat. And because they were faithful and their hearts were attuned to Jesus, the disciples did what he asked without knowing that it was him. They recognized his voice without really knowing that it was his voice calling out to them. And the result was them getting to share in a breakfast of fish because the nets became overflowing with fish to where they could hardly pull them in to shore. In our scripture today, we're continuing that story from John 21, where Jesus and the disciples are there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've hauled the boat ashore, they've pulled the nets in, they've roasted fish over the fire, they have eaten. The meal is now over and Jesus engages Peter in a series of questions about who and about what he loves. This morning we're going to look at these questions of Peter that Jesus asks him, but first I want to envision how this unfolded. Because I have to be honest, as I've read this scripture, I, or this scripture, I always think of it as Jesus engaging Peter. They're all sitting around the campfire. The meal is over. And so Jesus starts asking Peter these questions. But if you look and, and if you read a little closer, 
I think it's a little different than what happened. Because John gives us a better picture of what he saw and what he experienced. I think at some point, as the meal concluded, Jesus stood and he motioned or he invited Peter to join him walking along the shoreline. So as the two of them walked along the shoreline, they would have walked past fishing boats. They would have walked past nets. They would have walked past the other pieces of equipment that would have lined the shoreline of a fishing village. And as they did so, Jesus asked Peter three questions. Three times he asks him the question about his depth of love. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? I usually got in trouble when I was asked three times something from my parents. But three times Jesus asks Peter about his love for him. And three times Peter basically says what? He says, yes, I love you. As Peter affirms to Jesus that his love for him exceeds everything else, was Jesus asking Peter if he loved him more than all of the other disciples? Yes. Was Jesus asking Peter if his love for him outweighed all of the things of this world and of this life? Meaning that as they walked along the shoreline and they saw the boats and they saw the nets and they saw the other equipment that was needed for uh, one to support himself as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, is Jesus saying to him, do you love me more than the assurance and everything else that these boats and nets provide you? Jesus, Peter says yes. And then the last question, Jesus says, does your love for me exceed your love for anything and everything else? And Peter says yes. You know, Peter's no stranger to getting questions asked of him more than once. He was questioned three times in the courtyard of Caiaphas, there in Jerusalem on the night that Jesus was betrayed and then faced trial. Remember, Peter was asked, you are one of his disciples, are you? What did he say? I am not. You are not one of his disciples, are you? Again, Peter says, I am not. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter's denial, and then the rooster began to crow. But three times Peter was, was questioned of his knowledge of Jesus, and three times he had denied knowing Jesus, but Jesus was not done for him. Because Jesus gave Peter the opportunity here to both affirm and to testify to his love for Jesus above anything and everything else. And so when Peter affirms his love for Jesus, then Jesus gives him a task. Jesus tells Peter, you're to become the shepherd for my people. Just as Jesus himself has been the shepherd for the people of God. Peter is to now take the role of shepherd for Christ's church in the place of Jesus. Because Jesus is going. And so with each affirmation of his love for Jesus, what does Jesus respond after Peter says, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. And feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will strengthen your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So Jesus is telling Peter, I want you to fulfill the role that I've given you and that God has for you as the great shepherd of my people. But he's also telling Peter that he is going to go down the same path that Jesus himself went down in terms of having his hands stretched in crucifixion, in terms of being put aside for his faith, in terms of being martyred for his faith. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. See, Peter's love for Jesus brought him this responsibility. His love for Jesus brought him this task, his task in, in becoming the shepherd. He was to demonstrate his love for Jesus by loving others. And his love for others and for Jesus brought Peter this responsibility. It brought him privilege. It brought him recognition. But what does Jesus say? It's also bringing Peter across. So no matter where we are when we practice our faith, whether we're in the front row or whether we're in the back, this is what following Jesus is about, isn't it? It's about responsibility. It's about response. It's about reaction in the right way because Jesus wants us to have the chance to, to express our faith in the way that we, we choose to live, just like Peter, and he forgives us just like Peter, and he gives us a new task and a new work to do, just like he did for Peter. The forgiveness isn't earned. It's grace, and out of grace we're forgiven. But just like Peter, we cannot accept it if we don't recognize we need it. Like you can't accept the forgiveness of God that's offered to you through Jesus Christ if you don't recognize that, th that there are things in your life that need to be forgiven, right? We can't accept the grace that God has given us without fully understanding and accepting the depth of what that means and the significance of what it is that God is doing for us and through Jesus Christ by giving us that grace if we don't recognize that we need that grace. See, isn't that what Jesus is doing here for Peter? Is he's forgiving him, he's giving him grace. And then he's equipping him and setting him out on a task. Because just as we receive forgiveness, just as we receive grace, Jesus gives us and God gives us new work that we need to do. It's not a passive faith, is it? It's not a passive faith of just meditating and worshiping and that being it. The faith that we practice, the Christian faith that God has given us through his son Jesus Christ, friends, is an active faith. And that's a faith that we have to remember and we have to live and we have to practice. Like Peter, we can't uh, accept the forgiveness and grace if we don't recognize that we need it. You can read in the book of Acts the story of Peter. The book of Acts you know, follows the, the story of, of the early disciples told from the perspective of Luke. So Luke tells us what he did in ministry. Luke tells us what Peter did in ministry. Luke tells us about the ministry of Paul. But for Peter, you can go and read in Acts. We can read where Peter was the great shepherd who, who helped lead the church, who helped shepherd the church, and who also laid down his life for the sheep when he was crucified upside down in Rome. But see, there's also a second half to this scripture. 
And as I envision Peter hearing Jesus tell him he's going to give his life as well for his faith, I think Peter starts looking around and he's getting a little nervous and he sees that John is following them. John 21, 20 says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. Peter asks Jesus, is he going to betray you? I mean, our reaction, right, when things are getting too deep sometimes is to deflect, isn't it? To defer, to uh, cause our, the focus of our discussion to be on something else. And this is what Peter's doing. And it's one of the reasons that I think, uh, I, that I appreciate reading the stories about Peter in the Gospels. Because he is so human. He's us. And as Jesus is telling him what he's going to happen to him, he's telling him where he is going to be going. Peter, I think, knows what it is, knows what's going to happen. He knows that what Jesus is saying is true, but that doesn't stop his human side from getting uncomfortable. And so he starts looking around, and he sees John, and John's following them, and he says, is he's going to receive the same charge that you've just given me? Is Peter comparing himself to John? I don't know. Have they had a rivalry through this ministry of Jesus? Or is John including this story to show us the separate call that Jesus placed on his life in the same way that he's placing a call on Peter's life? Because after Jesus has told Peter that uh, you know, he is going to live, he is going to be the great shepherd for his people, he is going to be dressed in clothes that he himself didn't choose, and his arms are going to be stretched out. Jesus tells Peter about John, I want him to remain alive until I return. What is that to you? You must follow me. See, these are two of Jesus's inner circle of disciples. For three years, John and, and Peter have been two of the three that, that have been everywhere with Jesus. They've heard the call. They've heard the voice of God at the baptism. They've seen the light of the transfiguration. They have eaten at the Last Supper. They have slept while Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. They have witnessed the crucifixion. They have witnessed the resurrection. They have eaten with the resurrected Christ on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the path that they have been on is now being divided. Both of them have the same ministry and mission to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, but what Jesus is telling both of them is, just as you have both been on the same path, now I'm diverting one of you from a different, to a different path so that you can fulfill a purpose that I have for you in a different way. They're both carrying the gospel. They're both to share the gospel. They're both to pursue forgiveness and grace and respond to all that God has done through His Son, Jesus. But each of them has a different purpose and a different focus on what Jesus is commissioning them to do. They each have a mission to be in service for the gospel. And they each have a different response now, a different direction, as Jesus is telling them, follow me. We've talked about Peter's, you know, he's supposed to be the shepherd of the flock once Jesus departs. He's to lead the church, he's to spread the gospel, he's to share in Jesus' death for his faith. For John, the call is different. John's call is to be the witness for Christ. So that John's life, his entire life, would be a testament and testimony to the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So while Peter is going to die for his faith, John is going to live out his faith and his life 
until he experiences a natural death with his purpose being the witness for Christ. See, friends, what John wants us to see is that him and Peter are not in competition. Is that they are both servants of Christ whose task is to focus on what Jesus sets before them. And so that meant they couldn't worry about the other one was, supposed to, was, was doing. When Peter asks Jesus what, John's plans are, what the plans for John's are, Jesus doesn't scold him. He just says, never mind the task that, you, that for him, you focus on your task. And your job is to follow me. Friends, I don't know about you, but I need to hear this. That I have to be reminded, never mind the task that is given to someone else. Your job is to follow me. That's all Jesus commands each of us to do out of our love for him. To follow him. To not spend our time worrying what God has called someone else to do. To not spend our time worrying why God has put someone else in one place and not us. To not spend our time worrying on the things that we have no impact or control over. I needed to hear this because I needed to be reminded that I can only worry about what God has called me to do in the place that God has put me each and every day. I can only follow Jesus. Which means that you can only worry about what you're doing in the place that God has put you each and every day. As you answer the call, as you respond to forgiveness, as you respond to His grace, and as you claim the mantle that Christ has put on you as a follower of Him. If I do that, it means that any success that God sees fit to provide me is not through what anyone else does, it's through what God does. It means that any success or effectiveness that we see of ourselves in, in pursuing a life of faith and in becoming a, life, a follower of Jesus, that comes from our diligence and our reverence in following Jesus. It means that when we get the temptation to look at other people and to see what they're doing and to see maybe how we're inadequate or whatever it is, when Jesus saw Peter comparing himself to John, what did he say? He said, don't worry about him. You have a task. Focus on the task that God has put before you where you are at today. See, the tempter uses what others are doing to get into our heads and hearts. The tempter even uses other Christians as objects that we focus on when we compare ourselves to what they are doing or when we are compare ourselves to, to what is what happening with them. And why is that? It's because it's one other thing to keep us from focusing on Jesus. Because you can't follow Jesus if you're not focused on Jesus. I can't follow Jesus if I'm not focused on Him. I can't follow Jesus if I'm too focused on all of the sorts of the other things that are happening both in the church and in the secular world. I can't follow Him if I'm not looking at Him. And so we have to keep focused on Jesus and realize that God makes no mistakes in where He leads us. In God there are no mistakes in where He has placed you 
or in the call that He has put on your life. All we can do is be obedient. We can accept the forgiveness that He has offered us. We can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can focus on Jesus. So that we can follow Him, not according to where He leads the person next to us. But we can follow Him where He wants us to be. As we respond to His grace, and as we receive the gift of life and of everything else that He fills us with. I want to end with a scripture from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi where he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.